You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way, unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's great to be here with all of you. And so nice to be seeing the beginning of March which we know what comes after that. Um, a quick reminder is always to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of women leaders, bringing you information and news and inspiration from their industries. And we continue to be so grateful for their sponsorship and we cherish their weekly updates. If you're interested in learning more about our, our, excuse me, our watch team and you'd like to be a part of the show, feel free to reach out to me at Susan at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And now I am so honored and happy to welcome to the show Lydia Finette. Lydia is the Global Managing Director and Lead Charity Auctioneer at Christie's. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here. I have to tell you, in 10 years of my doing this show and interviewing women from all around the world, you're my first auctioneer. Oh, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> well, I think in many cases, I've been most people's first female auctioneer, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I think is fantastic. We're seeing a lot of firsts, for sure, um, recently. We love talking about that on the show. Um, but I wanted to start out uh, a little bit with your upbringing and your background and find out who the, the young Lydia was. And I read that you grew up in Louisiana. Yes, I did. I grew up in a small town called Lake Charles, Louisiana. 
And I lived there with my family. I have three siblings. We're boy, girl, boy, girl. So I like to say that we're the perfect example of equality because our parents raised us <laughs> to believe that we could all do the same thing. So it's a, it was a Great. wonderful, a wonderful place to grow up and a wonderful way to grow up because it really taught me about speaking my mind in the same way that my brothers did and, and looking at life through their eyes as well as my own. Uh, tell me a little bit about mom and dad. What did they do and, and, and what was their um, influence on you as far as their parenting and messaging? So much influence. I reference my parents almost daily. My father is an attorney and he was just always, he was always pushing us to ask questions, to think outside of the box, to really never take no as an answer, but rather to think about different ways to approach a question. And in many ways, I think I've brought that to auctioneering because it's, it's always sort of positioning things in a different way or asking a question differently. And my father is very gregarious. He's never met a stranger. And I definitely have that aspect of his personality because I love nothing more than being dropped into a room of people that I don't know. Um, my mother is amazing. She was the CEO of our house, you know, a mom of four, but also, you know, an incredible volunteer. She can make anything look beautiful in two seconds flat. It's really an uncanny skill. I think she's the original Martha Stewart, if you ask me. But I think together they really brought up four very strong, independent children who love to travel. My mother's British, so we spent a lot of time going to visit her family as children and realized that the world is much larger than just what we were seeing in the, in the sort of four corners of Lake Charles, Louisiana, which was probably the greatest gift that they could have given us. You know, that's interesting that your mom, you know, um, is British. You went to boarding school and that's not necessarily typical for most young people, uh, the calf <laughs> school in, in Connecticut. Tell me about your time there and how that shaped um, how you make decisions and, and go about your role today. Well, my mom is British and that is the reason we went to boarding school. She went to boarding school when she was eight and had always told me these incredible stories about boarding school. And it was just something that I always wanted to do from a very early age because it just sounded so romantic. And I don't think I really thought through what it meant to leave my parents when I was 13. And I do remember the first day when they dropped me off, sort of sitting in my room after they left, having cried almost endlessly for two straight hours. And my roommate, who was from Hong Kong, obviously felt exactly the same way. So we just sort of wow. sat there and cried. Wow. Um, and I think the most interesting thing that I will always be grateful for that experience that has carried me forward is independent thinking. Because, you know, when you're 13 years old, 14 years old, you're constantly asking your parents for advice on everything. We had one payphone in the school that was, or one payphone in our dorm that was a floor up from where we lived. And I would talk to my parents pretty much every Sunday because, you know, you're, you're competing with everyone else and they're calling boyfriends, they're calling parents, they're calling friends. And so it wasn't available that much. And mm. I really got used to independent thinking, really making my own decisions and being responsible for those decisions. And ultimately good or bad, I had to kind of take with it, take what came with it and own it. And yeah. I really do think that that has been one of the most it was one of the greatest blessings of my early life that I was able to carry through because I don't look around and ask for other people's opinions or thoughts. I make the decision and then I carry it through. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, figuring things out on your own. You, you really had to figure out a lot on your own. And 13, were any of your siblings at the school as well so that when you went, they were there? My older brother and I went the same year. 
So that was great. But at the same time, he was sort of finding his way as well, you know, so it wasn't as if we were, I was arriving into a scene where he'd already created a friend of group and I knew exactly what was going on. I mean, we both kind of arrived there the same year. So there was comfort in seeing him certainly, but it wasn't as if, you know, I was coming into a room of people that I already knew, but as we discussed, that was fine because I actually like meeting people. So it was fine. (laughs) Being social, I think is very helpful if you're away from home. Exactly. And also, I yeah. think it's, it's helpful to be social in life because you get a lot out of life if you're social. Yeah. Meeting people is such a great, it's a great way to see different things and, and understand people's different perspectives. Yeah. If you're just joining me, I'm with Lydia Finette, Global Managing Director and Lead Charity Auctioneer at Christie's. Um, so you actually went off to college and majored in history. Yes. I- Where did that come from, that, that choice? That was definitely my father's influence. I mean, my father references battles. He references world wars. I mean, it's really a part of our everyday conversation in my house. And we always say that everything always ends up with a discussion about Lewis and Carol. I don't really know why. Um, Lewis and Clark, <laughs> excuse me, not Lewis and Carol, not Lewis, <laughs> Lewis and Clark. Um, it does always end up in a conversation about that. And he wants us to think through what that must have been like to explore America. I mean, it's really, it's really a huge part of our life to think about different different perspectives, as I said earlier, and also just what, what it took for the world to look like it does now for better or for worse. Um, and so I think that's really where it came from. And then when I got to college, I declared a second major in art history. After taking one art history class, I just fell in love with the subject. And really that became the, the catalyst for where I am today. Tell me, can you share um, a little bit about something that was perhaps a challenge for you growing up? You know, as a young girl, um, clearly with your your independence, your confidence, your um, curiosity and interest in meeting people was is very helpful. What is something that perhaps was a challenge for you that you you're proud that you've overcome or still kind of battle with today? You know, I think I'm kind of a jack of all trades. And I as a result of that always wanted to try out for everything. You know, I remember getting to Taft my freshman year and trying out for, I think like 10 or 11 different things. And I think I made one of them. <laughs> so I was mediocre <laughs> at a lot of things, you know, so it was really, what was the definition of success? I think was sort of my, my childhood. What was I looking to be good at? And I was, I was good at things, but not great at anything. And so that's something that I think over the course of my life, I've been able to really articulate in that for me as the auctioneering. It's something that, you know, I've practiced until I am great at it. Um, But it definitely wasn't something that came easily. I wrote my college essay on the fact that I played on three sports teams in middle school that never won a game. So I played volleyball, (laughs) basketball, and ran track for literally three straight years. We never won a game. And I'm the best loser ever because I age how to lose gracefully. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that was probably a challenge that I faced for a long time until I realized that instead of doing everything, it was okay to commit to one thing and really Mm. learn that craft. Right, right. Um, Listen, we're going to go into our first break. Um, Stay with us for Sports Watch with Dr. Jen Welter, and I will be back with Lydia Finette. Women to Watch. Sports Watch. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Jen Welter, and you are listening to Sports Watch. Too many times people look at the highlight reel of your life, and they don't see what happened in the dark. If you're going to make it to the bright life, you're going to have to take some L's. And as a matter of fact, doesn't, doesn't life start with L? So that means you have to get through it to get to it. As, as a person who played sports, like I have won championships, but the Super Bowl that I will never forget 
was the first one I ever played in, and we took the L. And you know what? I learned a whole lot about it. I learned I never wanted another team to catch me off guard. I knew I wanted to be the most prepared athlete that I could be, and I hadn't felt that way going into that game. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if we'd have won that first Super Bowl, if I would have had the passion and perseverance to go on to win four or to play long enough to win two gold medals. So let's just put it really simply. Life, it starts with L. You've got to get through them to get to it, right? Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Lydia Finette this evening, Global Managing Director and Lead Charity Auctioneer at Christie's. Um, something I read about Lydia when I was doing my research, um, you, you do a lot of speaking and you have opportunities, obviously, to be in front of large crowds. And this was a, an, in a particular interview and talking about women. And, and I think that in general, young girls are often raised to kind of, I think it comes from being told to be polite and quiet and kind of stay in the background, right? Be reserved. Um, things are certainly changing. Do you think that that is still the case today or, or do you see a big change? What's your perspective on that? I really hope it's changing. I see change. I try to talk about it endlessly so that the people around me understand that it can be something that you can really do and do well. I think that public speaking is the most important part of your life. You know, it allows you to voice your opinions in a way that is effective and it allows you to feel like you have a voice when others don't. So I think that public speaking is one of those things, especially as parents of young girls, it's something we should be focused on. You know, I put my daughter into theater very early on and I remember one of her first tryouts, she did not, she, she became a tree at the end of it when she thought she was going to get the lead and oh, how she cried. I mean, she cried and cried and cried. And I remember saying to her, well, how did the tryouts go? And she said, well, I didn't want to sing for them. So I just told them I could sing. And I said, well, you've learned your lesson. You know, if you don't put yourself out there, you're never going to get the lead, you know? And so I think that those things become formative and overcoming that fear, which, you know, they say is the, the biggest fear second only to death. And in some cases people fear it more than death. So if you can overcome that, I mean, you really overcome something that will set you up for success in life and in business. Yeah. You know, Speaking about your children and um, fear, we certainly can't tell your life story without mentioning the fact that your entire family was in a severe accident this past October, um, a car accident. And I know that you've shared a lot of that publicly on social media. I really would love for you to just share. I think about your children and yourself. It had to have changed your, your life view. And I would imagine for your children, too, major life lesson. Can you tell our listeners what happened and and how it's changed all of you? Yeah, absolutely. We were in a car wreck on Halloween where um, another car in the other lane of traffic coming towards us flipped over the median and basically landed right in front of our car. So, you know, it was really the equivalent of hitting a brick wall going hundred miles an hour. And, um, my entire family was in the car. I have three children who are five, seven, and nine, and my husband was driving. And so as you can imagine, the impact of that really knocked us out and kind of, we came to, and 
my entire body was basically broken. My husband's wrist was shattered and our children had various broken bones and bone bruises and had just been completely ripped apart by the seatbelt. So as a family, we spent three days in the hospital together. And then I had to stay an additional five days because I had a spinal fusion to sort of fuse my spine back together. And I think on every single level there, there's no way to go through something like that without first and foremost, being grateful that you made it through that. And, you know, we spoke about this even before we started the interview, but I do believe that there are different ways to look at things in life. And this for me felt like a gift. It felt like a gift of life. It felt like a gift that my children were really unharmed for the most part. And more than anything, I think as a family, it just brought us so close because it's part of the fabric of our family. Now, you know, we talk about the accident every day, as you said, I shared it on social media because trauma can go one way. It can go inside and it can fester and it can stay with you, or you can use it to talk about it and to learn from it and to show other people by example, what it looks like to go through something like that with grace and perseverance. And, you know, every day that I spent in bed after the spinal fusion, I also had seven broken ribs. I'd had to have internal surgery because they thought that I was bleeding out when I got to the hospital. And, you know, Every day that I got out of bed was to show my children that we can go through really tough things and be okay. And it's something we message daily to the children. They talk about the accident. You know, we talk about it as a family and, and it's, it's a lot, you know, the, the kids all thought I was dead in the car. I never got out of the car. And so they voice that and we talk about it and they talk about being scared to be in a car accident. And I say all the time, they're like, well, we're scared we might get hit. And I say, we could get hit again. We did get hit, but we got over it. Right. We went through something really tough, but we got over it and we're okay. And that's a life lesson that I don't think anyone realizes what a gift that is to be able to say that because you become pretty fearless when something like that happens and being fearless is a gift. Yeah. You know, when I read about it, two things automatically came to mind. Sometimes I think trauma um, happens to people for a reason there, you know, very often it's, it's, men and women who are just going full speed ahead all the time and they need to learn to slow down. Is that a lesson that you felt you needed? Um, And then, of course, um, not sweating the small stuff is such a cliche lesson from from tragedy. But would you say that that's something new that you've learned? Well, you know, the first, to the first point, you know, I think COVID had already made me slow down and I am grateful for that lesson from a very difficult and dark time for everyone in their lives. You know, COVID was not an easy time, but I was going a million miles a minute until 2020. I mean, I I can't even explain to you what my days looked like before, but there were very few hours of sleep and it was just a juggle between life and work and charity auctions and all of the things that made my life so full. But so COVID had already sort of let me slow down. So I don't know that the accident made me slow down any further. It just, I think in many ways, almost fired me up for life. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. I think I went in the opposite no, direction. We, you know, life is short, right? It tells you that. Yeah. So as you said, don't, don't sweat the small stuff and really live your life. You know, I remember saying to someone after the car accident, I remember sitting in the car waiting for the ambulance to come and just thinking, like when in retrospect, when I think about that time that not once did I ever think, Oh God, did I fill out that Excel spreadsheet? You know, what was I thinking about? I was thinking about my family. I was thinking about my parents. I was thinking about my siblings and my friends. And those people swooped in with a level of intensity and love that it's really, it's almost 
mind boggling to think how much people can support you. And I'm a strong person. I always have been, and I knew that I would be okay, but there's just an unbelievable scaffold of love that comes with your family and friends that you just could not predict. And so I always say the accident wasn't all bad. It was amazing to see that play out and to play out for our family and for my children and, and for my husband. Yeah. I'm so wonderful to, you know, uh, are so happy to hear that and very impressed really by, um, just your immediate reaction and, and, um, speaking so candidly and openly with your children. I think that's so, so important to alleviate their anxiety, right? It has to be open conversation. Right. You can't hide it. I mean, we all went through it. It was horrifying, but I think in life, as long as you can talk about it, it takes the fear away a little bit. Peace. peace. Um, We're going to go into our next break. Uh, Stay with us for our military watch with Carol Eggert. And I will be back with Lydia Finette, global managing director and lead charity auctioneer at Christie's. We'll be right back. Now the women to watch military watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, senior vice president of military affairs at Comcast, NBC universal. As you may know, March is women's history month which recognizes both the challenges and the achievements of women throughout the history of the United States. This, of course, includes their impact on our nation's military. Although women played an important role in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, it wasn't until March 17, 1917, right before the start of World War I, when women were first able to legally enlist. To help recognize and celebrate the many brave women who have served, the Military Women's Memorial, located in Arlington, Virginia, created a national registration campaign. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to document their service. Nearly 3 million women have served in or with the armed forces since the American Revolution. And the memorial is on a mission to collect as many of these women's stories as possible. The register is open for all service women, women veterans, and family and friends of women veterans to document their service through the memorial's digital platform. To help celebrate our women veterans and service women this Women's History Month, please join me in spreading the word to all women who have served and their loved ones. Together, we can help make their stories a part of history, or as the memorial refers to it, her story. 
To learn more about the Military Women's Memorial and its national registration campaign, you can visit womensmemorial.org. My story is there. I hope you will join me. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm speaking with Lydia Finette this evening. And um, of course, one of your most wonderful accomplishments is a book that you've written. The most, uh, the mo- the most powerful yes. woman in the room is you. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'm reading your the book that you're writing today. Um, no, not yet. Not yet. Thank you. I was reading The Most Powerful Girl and I thought, no, that's not published yet. Not yet. Um, I, I love the title of the book because one of my favorite quotes of all time is um, the best advice you'll ever receive is your own. And I think it's so true. So tell me what inspired you to write the book and what, you know, the most important takeaway you hope women will get from reading it. Well, I was inspired to write the book because I've been a charity auctioneer for almost 20 years and I get on stage at night, usually after people have had a couple of cocktails and they're seated for a dinner at charity galas and try to sell them things that nobody really wants. So I'm basically selling a puppy <laughs> or, or, you know, something that someone's thrown together to try to, to raise money, or I'm just asking for money and what we call a paddle raise, which is just me asking for $25,000 or a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars and asking people to raise their paddles to give that amount of money. And whenever I got on stage or got off stage, there was always a woman or sometimes a man, but pretty much always a woman standing next to stage who would say something like, I could never do what you do. I'm so bad at selling. I just cannot ask for things. I get so embarrassed. I I worry that people are going to say no. And it just kept happening so many times. And I truly believe in business. If you are always looking for the white space, you can always find an opportunity to do something. And to me, there was a need that needed to be filled. And so I started researching books on selling for women. And there were none. All of the books that were written could be written by a woman about selling, but it was never geared towards women. And I wanted to say what I've learned from stage. You know, I grew up with a Southern father and a British mother. I should not be someone who's sort of strong and confident and asking people for things. Neither of those cultures are really known for that. And so I really decided to dig into that. And that's how the book kind of came to be. You know, I I think when I was trying to figure out the best platform for it, I realized if I just sit down and write this out and what I've seen over the past, at that point, 15 years from stage, from selling to people as a woman, which looks very different than the guys I trained with. It's a different skill. It's a different way to do it. It's not good or bad. It's just different. So Mm. that's really how the book came to be and, and the lessons that I wanted to teach women as they read it. Yeah. Would you, one of the things I think holds women back is, is they're just continually comparing themselves Mm -hmm. and, and what you've shared. Um, and I agree with you so much. It's really about connecting with your own inner self voice. And that originality is what will lead to success. We should not be looking outward, you know, to learn how to be better at whether it's sales, marketing, whatever it is. No. And I think that's in business too. It's not only in life, but if you're constantly looking over your shoulder at a competitor or somebody who's doing something, instead of just figuring out what you can do and how you can make things work for you within what you're doing, you're just spending a lot of time doing something that's wasted energy. Because at the end of the day, if someone's successful or not really has very little to do with you, you just need to be on the right path and push that forward in the way that you think is right. And if you follow your gut, nine times out of 10, you're going to get to the right place. 
And if you don't and you fail, you will learn something from it that will help you grow in a different direction. Have you, um, in, I mentioned in the first segment that you do a lot of speaking and, and you are talking to men and women about, you know, be, being better at sales and marketing. Is there any, can you share a personal story, um, someone that perhaps that you've worked with that, you know, had one of those aha moments from, you know, your advisory? Yeah, absolutely. I work with this really fantastic young woman who's in her early thirties and she's just a star, but she's plagued by what I'm sure a lot of women, whether or not they know it, we call it imposter syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard mm -hmm. of that, but essentially sure. it just yeah. means that it doesn't matter how successful you are. You're always looking around thinking, wait, how did I get here? Everybody thinks I'm a fraud. You know, what do I do? And one thing I always say to her is as women, we have to stop asking for permission to do things. So I say, ask for, ask for forgiveness, not for permission, because at the end of the day, no one's handing you a permission slip to go out and do what you think is right in business or in life. And so I said this to her once, and she was saying to me that she really wanted to be on a podcast and she wanted to be the guest on a podcast. And I said, well, what are you doing to get on podcasts? She was like, well, you know, I just, I hope that people notice what I'm doing. It's like podcasts need content. People need guests. And I'm sure that there are lineups where you, I mean, you, so you have a podcast, you could probably opine on this, but there are definitely times where you probably have someone who can't do it, or you have a list of 20 people and you've exhausted it. And you're kind of thinking, all right, who might be next? I was like, you are an expert in your field. So start to meet people who do podcasts, reach out of the, over Instagram, over email, they may say no, they may not. And so I started getting these amazing emails from her the next week that said one out of five, two out of five, three out of five. And by the time we met again, it said five out of five. And she had gone to podcast hosts and started in some cases, just had a natural conversation about what she did. And someone had said to her, I'd love to have you on my podcast. And then the other yeah. two, she just asked outright and every single one of them said yes. And again, she's a complete star. I had no doubt that this was going to happen and this will not happen every time you do it. But the answer is if you don't ask, you're never going to get anything. So Absolutely. don't ask people yeah. for permission to live the life you want to do, to sell what you want to sell or to say things you want to say. If it doesn't work out, say, well, I'm sorry. You can ask for forgiveness. Yep. On to the next. On to the next. Right? On to the next. On to the next. You're not going to die. Yeah. I promise. <laughs> um, so tell me about the, the current, as I was stumbling over my words, about your book. You are reading The Most Powerful Girl in the Room. Actually, and I love so, that. No, I'm not reading writing The Most Powerful Girl in, in the um, Room as you. I put that to the side because I started writing it, but my oldest daughter is only nine. And I, I write a lot from personal experience and I wasn't ready to write that book. So instead I oh. wrote another book. <laughs> so that book, I, think oh, okay. <laughs> I know, you know, um, as authors do, I can't not write things that are happening. So I wrote another book, which is called claim your confidence, um, live the life you want and get the life you deserve that is coming out. Simon and Schuster is publishing that, which is, they would publish my first one as well. So that'll come out in spring of 2023. And it's okay. all about confidence about you know, what we need as women to steal ourselves against the, the external forces that come at us and how we grow confident inside so that if something unbelievable happens in your life. And for me, you know, the last chapter of the book is all about the car accident, but I talk about mm -hmm. the small things that you can do over the course of your life to really get yourself to a place that you truly believe on the inside that you're strong enough to handle no matter what comes your way. And that's what confidence is at the core. Yeah. Do you, I think sometimes I think it's hard to teach that. Right. I think it's about um, encouraging women and girls to explore and look um, for that, having that desire to want to be better. And then it kind of 
comes to you? You know, what ways do you encourage women to, and, and of course, with their busy schedules, always doing, doing, there's not a lot of time to just reflect. Yes. Don't you think that's, that's the first step? Yeah. If you don't kind of quiet the mind, then you don't have those awakenings. Yes, that's very true. But I also think that there are small things that you can do on a daily basis. Like one of the chapters addresses positive mindset and the importance of really digging into flipping the model when you're in having those days where you think everything is against you. You know, the day where five things go wrong in a, in a, in a row. One of my favorite quotes that my boss used to say to me was, if you have a, an argument over the course of the day, it's 50-50 like who's at fault. If you have two, you should probably look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think that with positivity too, you know, if you've had five things go wrong on the course of the day, and I always think it ends up being with my children where, you know, I have three children. If, if I'm arguing with all three of them, what's wrong here? Oh, right. Maybe it's mom today. Maybe it's not the kids. One common denominator here. And that is me. So, um, you know, thinking about that as it pertains to every element of your life and really forcing that, that notion of, being able to be positive and being and feeling confident in, in that positivity, not only in yourself, but in the way that you are perceived and reflecting that to other people over the course of a day. And, you know, certainly as you saw, I mean, you said on social media, you sort of saw what was going on after the car wreck. There were many days that were not positive. And yet I found myself standing in the mirror, just looking at myself, talking myself back into that, that motion. Like, yes, this mm -hmm. is a hard day, but yesterday you couldn't do this. And yesterday you felt like this and look what you can do today. And really digging into that. And I think that that's a huge piece of confidence is believing that you, you have that ability to change yourself on a daily basis. Yeah. That's a great way to go in we're, to our last break. We're going to go uh, into a break and hear from DB Barnes for our marketing watch. And I'll be back with Lydia Finette. Stay tuned. Now the women to watch marketing watch. How to get buy-in and launch your creative ideas. Hi there, my name is Diana Barnes, or DB as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Today I want to talk to you about how to get your leadership team to buy into your creative ideas. Brand building is essential to creating a business that stands the test of time. It's also one of the hardest aspects of business to measure and quantify. So how do you convince your leadership team to greenlight a project or a campaign that doesn't directly drive sales? Here are my three tips. First, think like your CEO. Imagine you're the CEO of your company. Ask yourself how your project supports the business. Your answer does not need to be tied to sales to be important. Does your request help position the company as a leader in its industry? Maybe it improves customer experience or boosts brand loyalty. Each of these contributes to the success of a business. Number two, timing is everything. Does your project require $50,000 that isn't in your budget? Part of creating a successful pitch is developing a successful plan and that includes budgeting. If your idea is costly, find out when your company begins budget planning and arrange to make your pitch during the beginning of the process. And last, be flexible. My experience dealing with nuns and rock stars well prepared me for working with CEOs. My best advice is to know your facts, especially the math. Have the answers and expect the unexpected. Think about what in your plan can change to meet the requests of your leadership team without sacrificing your goal. Be flexible and be willing to work with your boss to give them skin in the game and a stake in your idea. I use these three tactics to get buy-in for my colleagues on Munchkin's executive team and our board of directors to launch Stroller Coaster, a parenting podcast. 
We've become trailblazers within our category, and the show was ranked among the top 2% of shows within Apple Podcast Kids and Parenting category in our debut season. You can listen to it at strollercoaster.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next time. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this evening by Lydia Finette, and Lydia is the Global Managing Director and Lead Charity Auctioneer at Christie's. And I probably should ask you about your job because um, I think it's very cool, and I would love to know, you know, what's a typical day? How many do you do in a week? Um, And really, you know, as you're doing this for charity, and how rewarding is that? It must be incredibly rewarding. It's amazing. So I typically, over the course of a year, during 12 months, there's what we call an auction season. And this has been a little disrupted through COVID. But in the charity auction world, there's sort of a gala season in New York, which is March, April, May, and then September through early December. So it's when our clients are here, they're Monday through Thursday, and then sometimes Fridays and Saturdays in other parts of the country, they will take place. So you know, I was in Texas on Saturday. Um, today is a Tuesday. I had an auction or Wednesday. I had an auction last night and I have an auction on Thursday. So when it gets busy, it gets very busy. And in May, I have about 20 auctions over the course of the month. Uh, but it's so fun. I absolutely love it. And as you said, you know, the beauty of what I do is that when I get on stage, no matter what I'm selling, I'm raising money for a nonprofit that desperately needs it. And mm. given the fact that COVID for many of the nonprofits, hit them at a time when they were about to have their big fundraising galas. Mm-hmm. So if you think about yeah. in March of 2020, I'd taken four auctions in the week leading up to New York shutting down. And then I think we probably canceled 30 auctions in the next couple of months. Wow. So everybody missed a fundraising cycle. And then there was the virtual charity auctioneering, which I hope to never do again as long as I live, because it was me and a computer screen in my living room oh. trying to recreate the magic of a you know a 700 person party and with everyone having had wow. 50 cocktails. So wow. very different. Um, but you know, last night I was back on stage for the first time in New York City, and it just felt incredible to get up there and galvanize the crowd. Last night we were raising money for um, the New York Common Pantry, which helps with people with food insecurities in New York City. And just to see people giving so generously and and excited and inspired to be there was a really, it was really amazing. So I love it. Dressed up and right. Exactly. Just, yeah, I know you have a love of fashion. Your fashion is just unbelievably beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. I do. I love dressing up. I think it's all part of the part. When I first started, Mm I used to take auctions wearing a black suit because everybody who all the auctioneers were men and they were always in black tie. And so I thought I had to do that. But as I became more confident in my skills and ultimately took over the auctioneering program, I realized that for me to get on stage and to feel like I need to sparkle and shine, I needed to wear something that made me feel like I was sparkling and shining. And so, you know, last night I wore an all sequin dress with these huge sparkly earrings and I got on stage and I said, can you tell by what I'm wearing that I'm excited to be here? You know, (laughs) know, as you're raising money, you know, you can be distracted by the shine and the sequins. So I think that that for me has become such a part of what I do. Big earrings, big heels, big dress, you know, just all more for a fantastic cause and and fun to be on stage sort of dancing around and all of those things. Would you say from your experience last night, we've really turned a corner. We're open. I mean, I know that the mandates have been lifted and it really feels now like we're on the other side. Of the it really does. It really does. And New York has been, you know, I live in Manhattan. We've been here since 
September of 2020, our children went back to school and we came back and said, you know, we're going to stay here and, and sort of see this city through this tough time. And it's been it's been a really, really dark couple of years in New York City. And it's amazing to have even been there last night with people, that many people in a room and feeling comfortable and excited to be there felt amazing. And I know that everyone feels like New York is about to roar back, which yeah. we're all you know, we're all rooting for the city. So yeah. it'll be great. You know, it's a shame here we are really, I mean, that's probably the toughest thing we've ever been through as a global community. Um, yes. And um, now, you know, the war in Ukraine has everybody kind of, you know, down again. Are, are you a spiritual person? What has really helped guide you um, when it comes to fear, you know, that we have fear more today because of our ability to see and hear yes. what's going on globally. Yes. How do you deal with that? Well, I grew up in Louisiana and church was a huge part of my life. I mean, it really was. We went every single Sunday. I sang in the church choir. You know, church for me has always been a respite and prayer has always been something that's been important in my life. I was at chapel this morning at my daughter's school. And, you know, I always take the opportunity to be at chapel saying the Lord's prayer. That to me feels very healing. And, and I feel like we're praying whatever you're praying towards or whomever that is in your life. I think it is important to have something to make you realize that there's someone larger watching out for you. And mm -hmm. I believe that I, don't, I know that's not what everyone believes, but certainly that guides me. And certainly I felt it, you know, when we came through that accident and we were all alive and, we're all able to walk and, and my children are healthy and can run around. And that to me feels like we are being watched over by somebody. And I, I that's that's what keeps me going. And, and that's what I believe. Yeah, we we all need something. You have yes. to turn somewhere. Um, it's not good to be alone with our thoughts sometimes. Right. You exactly. know? Exactly. Yeah, um, we just have a moment left. And anything, any future aspirations outside of your book, something that's on your bucket list that you want to squeeze in? And share with our listeners. I feel like now that the world is starting to back up, to open back up, what I want to do more than anything is just travel. I I love to adventure. I love to travel, and that's the one thing that I am just desperate to do is sort of get outside of my comfort zone and be in a place where I don't know anything and I don't know the language and, and feel uncomfortable again in that way. Um, I'm really and meet new people and meet new people always. <laughs> Never met yeah. a stranger. Listen, I, uh, I'm so grateful for you taking time out of your busy schedule, and you probably need a nap today. <laughs> so thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story, Lydia. I wish you continued success. Thank you so much, Sue. It's been such a pleasure being on here, and good luck to everyone. I hope you're safe wherever you are and continue to be well. Thank you. That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with attorney and media expert Ariva Martin. Have a great week, everyone, and stay well. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.